over the last few years has changed, you know, because there is a change going on now in our culture where people are starting to understand that it's not only okay to be an introvert, there's actual advantages associated with it. So people are starting to own it. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. Instead of lying in bed like a loser, what if I launched myself out of bed like a rocket? A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have the author of the New York Times bestseller, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, Susan Cain, as she shares the story behind her famous TED Talk, The Secret Powers of Introverts, and Why Introverts and Extroverts Make Great Couples. Last week, we had internet pioneer Jay Baer share the secrets to creating talk triggers for word-of-mouth marketing. You may have seen this week's guest, as her TED Talk has over 19 million views. Susan Cain is an author and the co-founder of The Quiet Revolution, a company that helps unlock the power of introverts to change the world. As an introvert herself, I had to start off by asking how she made the plunge to start public speaking and how she ended up on the TED stage. Yeah, you know, and it was quite a story for me. Because I, I was not only an introvert, but I was also an introvert who used to be, uh, years and years ago, uh, really afraid of public speaking. Um, and it's worth saying not all introverts are. Um, I, I've actually found that many actors and many comedians are introverts, and for them, their sweet spot is, is being on stage. Um, but for me, it was not like that. And um, I, I used to be the person who, I, I was a corporate lawyer in my old life, and if I knew that I was going to be appearing on stage for something or other, um, I would always reliably lose five pounds because I couldn't eat for a week before uh, being, be, being up there. Um, and then what happened is I, I, I left corporate law, and I became a writer, and I started writing this book, Quiet, and I cared so much about this book and about the ideas in the book that I felt like I didn't want to have my fear of public speaking stand in the way of me communicating this message as best I could. So before the book came out, I I, uh, I embarked on what I called my year of speaking dangerously, and I tried to practice public speaking every chance that I could get. Um, and you know, it ultimately culminated uh, right after the book came out. I ended up giving a TED Talk. But what I would say, like, if there are listeners out there who are afraid of public speaking themselves, um, the thing you have to know is that you should not begin by giving a TED Talk. Um, so I actually, <laughs> like, really, that's the worst thing to do. Um, but there's a kind of magic formula almost in psychology that you can, you can extinguish almost any fear um, by exposing yourself to it in very small and manageable doses. So I went to Toastmasters and, you know, things like that where you could really practice um, and, and mistakes were low. And, uh, you know, the long story short, now it's kind of crazy. So, you know, as you know, I have this career as a public speaker. And if you had told me this 10, 15 years ago, I would have thought that was insane. But I find... So I like it. I find I'm good at it. I find I really care about it. Um, you know, there's a way. I, I still love the medium of writing, but the medium of speaking is a completely different and just differently powerful way of connecting with people. So it's awesome. When did you first realize that you were an introvert? I didn't have 
a language for it, you know, a vocabulary word for it until I was in my 30s. But I've known it all my life. So, you know, I, I can remember being four years old and being in day camp and thinking about the way that I really loved to play with my friends kind of one-on-one and didn't like it so much when we would get organized into some big group activity to sing a song or something. Um, you know, and so I kind of, I've always been the same person. Like, I really love people um, and I love connecting with people in a deep way. And I usually like to do it sort of one at a time. I'm really kind of fascinated about how introverts aren't necessarily antisocial. It's like a, it's a different type of social. Like, how did you come about that? And when, what advice would you have for someone who, you know, especially when those small groups come together, what's your advice on how introverts and extroverts can kind of get along in that? So, yeah, I, I think you really hit on one of the biggest myths out there, which is the idea that introverts are antisocial or somehow misanthropic. Um, and when I, when I, started out doing the research, I, I kind of assumed that that must not be true because I knew I knew it wasn't true in my own case. Like, I, I knew I really loved people, um, and yet I knew that I had this thing of like, needing lots of, of quiet time. And so then I started researching it and found, you know, that there, there's zero correlation between personal warmth um, and whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Um, and then I, I, I also found that there... There are lots of studies showing that introverts and extroverts tend to be attracted to each other, you know, as you're suggesting in your question. And this is true often in romantic relationships. I happen to be married to an extrovert. Um, and, and, it, and it's also true at work, you know, where people really enjoy having colleagues who are the opposite type from themselves um, because there's a kind of chemistry that happens there and there's a kind of... Um, situation that develops where each person is good at different things and uh, if you each have each other's back you're you're just much stronger together and teams are stronger uh, when they have a mix of introverts and extroverts and you know if you have like all extroverts on a team then you've got a lot of dynamism but you might not get as much done because everybody's sort of like talking and jockeying for um for control and um and not as much happens and if you have a lot of introverts on a team without the extroverts there, you can feel um, the lack of energy in the room. So we really need each other. What are those strengths that generally introverts have, and how can those be put to use in a, in a business sense? Um, well, you know, some of the really classic ones are um, being a deep listener, uh, being able to take the time to think things through, um, because if, if you're not someone who has the need to kind of constantly be in movement, um, then it's it's just a lot easier for you to kind of sit down, think a problem through, um, think about where the places something could go wrong, what, what are the subtleties that need to be attended to. Um, and there's a lot of interesting research out there showing that, that we, you know, we tend to think of this stuff as being about what kind of personality do you have at the office holiday party, but it also shows up in, in how you think about problems, you know, and how do you process the world around you. Um, so all that stuff really matters. But then I'll, I'll also give you one which may strike people at first as counterintuitive, and that is that introverts who are in leadership positions often deliver outcomes that are either as good as or better than extroverts in similar positions. Um, so... So there's real bias against putting introverts into leadership roles, but once they get there, they do really, really well. 
And it's not that surprising when you think about it, because introverts by their nature tend to want to go really deep uh, into what they're doing. And so if you get somebody who's super committed to their work, to their company, or, you know, a, a leader who's got a really strong vision and really cares about their company, they're going to put everything into it. Um, and, and, and so those leaders end up having a kind of power of their own, um, and it looks different from extroverted leadership. It looks different from that kind of power. Um, I'll give you an example of one of my favorite introverted leaders, uh, a guy by the name of Douglas Conant, who was the CEO of Campbell Soup until a few years ago. Um, he, by his own description, he's very shy and he's very introverted. He reminds me a lot of, um, of the Jimmy Stewart character in It's a Wonderful Life. Kind of looks like him and acts like him. He's really charming, um, and and you know, and he's not a schmoozer, right? And and when he took over at Campbell, the employee engagement ratings were at the bottom of the Fortune 500. And by the time he left, or, you know, stepped down ten years later, they were all the way at the top. And he had not done that by being a backslapper. He did it by figuring out who were the employees who had really been contributing. And he would sit down and write to them personal letters of thanks for what they had done. And during his time at Campbell, he wrote 30,000 of those letters. And people really cared about them. Like, they, they would hold on to those letters like talismans, you know, and, and they could feel how much he cared about them and about the company. And, um, and, and I feel like the takeaway from that is that we tend to think that there's only one way of doing a role, you know, that like a salesperson has this type of personality and a negotiator is that type and a leader is this type. And we get it really wrong when we do that and we're leaving so much talent out there on the table. Yeah, and that's one of those things too. I think uh, I know in your story, I think it's about the Harvard Business School students who were. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of funny, like secretly introverts, but they had to fake being extroverts, or at least they felt they needed to to get ahead. What do you uh, feel like those people need to do, and why are they doing it? Why are they faking it? Well, so I, I was talking to a professor there um, not long ago. And she told me that when she first started teaching at, at Harvard Business School, which really is one of the most extroverted environments on earth, um, and uh, she said she, she used to uh, do personality tests with her students, and everybody would say that they were an extrovert. You know, they would, they would fill out the answers to the questions in a way that made them seem that way. Um, and she said over the last few years, that's changed, you know, because there is a change going on now in our culture where people are starting to understand um, that it's not only okay to be an introvert, there's actual advantages associated with it. So people are starting to own it. Um, but in terms of why they hadn't before or why they still might not, you know, there has been a stigma against it. There's been a, a feeling that to be the, the capable, go-getting person, you know, that you have to be the, the alpha uh, gregarious, dominant one. Um, and so people have, really for the last century, uh, when it started, uh, people have been kind of twisting themselves into pretzels to try to conform to that mold. But the good news is that I, I really am starting to see signs of, of that opening up. 
what advice would you give to either parents or coaches uh, of, of kids who are introverts? Kids, especially in a team, a, a team type of sport, um, that they're that quieter kids are going to need more time to warm up before they show their true selves with the team. Um, but even simple steps like getting them to a place early make a really big difference. So if you're going to tryouts, let's say, um, you want to show up at tryouts early because you, you want the player to feel like they own that space. They're not, they're not getting to a space when, uh, and there's already lots of, chaos and they've got to plunge into a big group. You know, they're getting there when it's still quieter and more manageable and, um, and the, the group kind of forms and coalesces around them. Um, it's also things like just being able to, to work um, one-on-one and to do drills in quieter ways. Um, and, and then, you know, <laughs> there's also an aspect that would really benefit, of coaching that would benefit our extroverted kids to be able to do too. And this is the whole idea of deliberate practice, um, which I'm sure many of your listeners have heard about. This is the idea that that most elite athletes or really elite people in any field um, go through sort of 10,000 hours of practice of, of, what, of their sport or their craft to get to be so good in the first place. Um, but, so, so the idea of that 10,000 hours, that's pretty well known. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell talked about it in one of his books. But what's a lot less well known is that the best deliberate practice is done alone or one-on-one with a coach. Um, because because it, you don't want to be doing just any 10,000 hours. You want to be doing practice at the thing that is just outside of that player's grasp. So it's challenging, but it's not too challenging. Um, it's not too boring. It's not too challenging. It's kind of in the sweet spot. And the only way to do that is by focusing on the thing that's right for that particular player. Um, so for introverted players, it's pretty natural to do that. Uh, sometimes they're extroverts who need help uh, working on that side of things. You know, one of the things that you allow people to do, uh, if you go to the, you know, if, if you're listening, you can go to quietrev.com. And I think it's uh, uh, the the dash introvert dash test, if I if I memory serves, um, you know, you can take that test to see maybe where you fall in uh, into that. Um, what's what sort of your own research shown? Um, are people surprised by the answers that they get? I would say the surprise tends to go in the direction of people finding that they're more introverted than they thought they were. And the reason for the surprise is that we've all grown up in such an extroverted society that for many of us, we've just become accustomed from the time we were really tiny um, to asking more extroverted than we really are. And even in terms of like our own choices of how to spend our time, we're, we're just instinctively choosing to spend our time in more social ways than we naturally might. And um, and so once people kind of let their guard down and really answer the questions honestly, uh, they might find, oh, you know what, if I really could spend my time the way I wanted, it, it might look a little bit different. And that's a really powerful realization because you know, once you give yourself the freedom to do that, it's not only... I mean, it, it is about feeling happier, but it's not only about feeling happier. It's, it's also about gaining power uh, because if you're spending your time in your kind of emotional and physical sweet spot, 
you're going to have that much more energy and that much more power and that much more presence to bring to everybody around you. What advice would you have? I know it's a lot, it's more for introverts, but what would you have for those people who kind of identify with both, uh, both sort of general personality types? Oh yeah, no, my advice is really for everybody. And, um, and there are a lot of people who identify as introverts and, First thing I would say is I think that you all have the best of both worlds, right? Because you've got the strengths of both ways of being readily available to you. I mean, we all have those strengths available to us because we all learn over time um, to to kind of gain the skills that might not otherwise come so naturally. Um, but for ambiverts, you think that kind of um, being able to do it both ways just comes that much more easily. Um, and there was even a, a study that found that the best salespeople are ambiverse because, you know, they, they can listen well enough to hear what the person's saying, and then they can also close the deal. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think for ambiverse, probably the, um, the biggest challenge is making sure that you are feeding both sides of yourself um, because... There's this amazing term in psychology that I love uh, called reputational confusion, and uh, <laughs> the idea of that is that if you if you start acting in a certain way, you are going to get a reputation for being that person, and then everybody's going to always expect you to be that person. So, like Brian, you were saying, everybody assumes you're an extrovert, but actually you need this recharge time. But the probably, I'm guessing, people would be shocked to hear that you need that, and so they're assuming that they could probably book you back to back and you'll be you know, raring to go all day long. Um, and unless you are proactive enough to say, no, wait, I need this space, you're not going to get what you need. On to some of the social media questions. So I had people from LinkedIn and Facebook and some others and, and Twitter. Um, one of the questions uh, from John was, what percentage of being an introvert is by nature and what is through development? For any one given person, uh, you can't answer that question without number one knowing them, and number two having a crystal ball. <laughs> um, but but, but as, as across groups, we we can answer that question. And and so basically, um, introversion and extroversion is one of the most heritable, genetically heritable of personality types. Um, but even then, it's, it, when I say one of the most terrible, that still only means it's about 50%. So we're definitely a kind of mishmash of you know, what we're born with and what our experiences are. Um, but Brian, you, you were talking about this at the beginning um, or a little bit earlier. We, we, we do find that people have different kinds of nervous systems, you know, and, and um, introverts tend to have or are wired in such a way that uh, we're just kind of more stimulated by the events around us, and that's what makes us want to seek out quiet. And you can find evidence of that kind of nervous system in a baby as young as four days old. So, you know, long before the environment has had any effect on that baby. Um, it, it's interesting. Like, scientists give these babies sugar water to suck on, and you find that the babies who salivate more in response to the sugar water, um, which shows that they have more active nervous systems, uh, that react more to stuff going on, um, those same babies are more likely to be introverts when they're adults. So there's definitely, you know, a kind of through line um, for many of us in in our lives. Um, but I also think it's really important to remember that uh, the brain is very plastic. Uh, we, we learn this more and more every day, you know, that, that 
the brain is really capable of switching itself up and of gaining new skills over time. So that's why it's it's hard to get a straight-up answer to this question. The the other question which I kept getting over and over again, and this would be a a compliment to you, was when are you going to write another book? Oh, wow. Okay, well, thank you for asking that question. I'm actually in the middle of writing another book right this minute. Um, Well, that's good news. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not the fastest writer in the world, so it'll probably be out, I don't know, I, I think it'll be out in a year and a half or so, something like that two years, I don't know, depending on, on how, how it all goes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a similar genre, but it's a completely different topic. But I will say, like, if you guys are curious and, and want to sort of follow and know when the new book comes out, if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll hear about all that stuff, and you can just go to quietrev.com. Um, and it's easy to sign up, and I don't share your emails with anybody. <laughs> um, but it's just a way of staying in touch. And what's what's kind of the biggest takeaway that you that people get from either reading the book or hearing you talk? I guess you you touched on it earlier. If someone ran a uh, ran a search of all the different emails that people have sent me since Quiet came out, and you looked for what was the most common word that showed up in those emails, the word would be permission. And I think it's that people feel that they have permission to be themselves or that they can grant permission. You know, maybe sometimes they're extroverts and they're telling me that they're finally granting permission to their children or their spouses or their colleagues to be themselves. And that's huge. And, you know, I get goosebumps when I hear it. Next week, we kick off our back-to-school special with educator Mr. D, Joe Dombrowski, whose social media prowess landed him on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. So make sure you subscribe to get that episode when it releases. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast?